0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. Thank you very much for joining us on another beautiful episode. Hopefully, you're having a good day with whatever it is you're doing. I'm, uh, you know, winding up my workday here at uh, a new job, which I've told you about, and I'm, uh, I'm feeling much better about it. I know... Earlier on, like maybe about a month or so ago, I was uh, expressing some some anxiety on my end that I was uh, regretting my decision to leave one job and do the job that I'm doing now. But it's 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 coming to fruition now. I'm feeling more confident. I'm I'm liking everything, and it it feels good. You know, like to to be able to make a decision, try it out, and then be like, oh, that that was the right move. It feels good. But, anyways, the guest this week. It's a very, very special one because it's a close friend of mine who I've been looking to have on the show for quite some time, and frankly, she doesn't do interviews. She is the person who is setting up interviews. This is my good friend, Stephanie Marlowe. She runs a publicity company out of her own name, Stephanie Marlowe PR, and uh, she does PR for basically every band you've probably listened to at some point in the past 10 years, from Deaf Heaven, to, uh you know, have heart, like whatever. We get really, really deep into who she's worked with in the past. But she has a very, very interesting history. She's worked at Victory Records. She's done stuff with Bridge Nine. And now she does her own PR firm, like I mentioned. And she keeps it real. She's helped me out a lot in the past. She did PR for a festival that I used to do with Joey called Sound and Fury, and I don't know, just a great human being, and she has so many cool insights to share, and that's exactly why she's on the show. So that's, yes, it gives me all the warms and fuzzies when I'm able to bring friends on and uh, share their wisdom with you, because after all, I know that's what a lot of feedback I get from people, is that they enjoy when I'm having these people who are really, really good at their jobs and like how they got started and kind of seeing a roadmap because I mean, after all, none of us really know how to get to our destination. You know, when you're like 16, 17 years old, you're like, Oh, I want to work at a record label. I want to do that. You have no idea how to actually accomplish those goals. So hearing how people do it kind of gets your brain ticking, gets you moving in the right direction. So, um, I am just getting over some horrific food poisoning. So I apologize if I'm sounding a little less energetic or stuffy or whatever, but I don't know, got a bad batch of beans and it it ruined me. And uh, I was out of commission for what it felt like a, a month, but it was only a week. So now I'm feeling better. And um, yeah, without further delay, let's talk to Stephanie and I will talk to you after the episode is over. I usually start these things off with just my personal entry point to kind of, you know, you and everything that you uh, are as a human being and professionally and everything. So, I mean, obviously, Matt Moody, your old roommate slash my old bandmate was our introduction point. But I, I can't recall. I, I think it was when we came through with Makoto it was the first time that we really kind of spent time together because I met you at fests, I think, in the past when I was working at Century, right?
1: Yeah, we had hung out, I think, like you and I were always like one degree of separation from each other. Like I, I want to say the first time we met, maybe was it like a metal fest?
0: Oh somewhere? yeah. 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 That's right. Was that's like right.
1: In New Jersey, maybe I don't even, or yeah. was it in Massachusetts? I don't know.
0: Right. Or like a, or like a, I definitely remember because obviously you were, you were uh good friends with, uh, one of my old coworkers too, Stacy, who, <laughs> yeah. who, who, uh, that, that's where I think I first met you. So it was like, yeah, early two thousands. Um, but it was uh, it was always one of those things where you uh you know I'm going to you know blow smoke up your ass right now so just be prepared but okay. the uh you always struck me as a you know very warm and accommodating person in general um and like not even particularly like towards me but just kind of in general um is this something that like you've noticed in yourself like I don't know it's it's just a very um I don't want to say it's like inherently unique in you but at the same time it's like not everybody needs to be like warm, I guess. Like, you could be nice, but there's that extra element of being warm. So I don't know if that's something you've noticed in yourself or that's just, where does that come from? I
1: appreciate that. Um, you know, that's, I do agree with you that, like, warmth isn't uh, something that's a, a characteristic that's necessarily typical of a lot of people that work in our industry. Um, that being said, I mean, I'm from the Midwest. We're generally warm people, <laughs> you know? My yeah. parents are really nice and in you know, cool and friendly. And I think that was just a trait that was, you know, I was exposed to at a very young age and just, you know, it's, I like, I like people. I wouldn't do, I wouldn't be able to do my job if I didn't like people and being around people. So it's not, it's not a fake thing. It definitely comes from a, a very genuine place.
0: Yeah. Cause I think it's very, I mean, I was going to address this a little bit later on, but I think the, cause the notion obviously of sort of PR in general. And, you know, you could obviously lump in the music industry as a whole as well is the notion that you have to be, you know, the whole concept of networking and schmoozing and like, you know, I I know that gives people like you and myself like just such gross vibes. But it's like it it, it almost seems part and parcel where it's like you feel like you have to do that. But then, like you said, kind of at the core of it is just the you got to care about a person.
1: Of course. Um, And one of the, I mean, I remember when I first got started working in music, one of the best pieces of advice that I was ever given was um, be nice to everyone all the time. Um, Because it's like, you never know, like everyone that I come across, everyone that I meet through work and even beyond, it's like, I'm nice to everyone because like 10 years from now, who knows where I'm going to be or where they're going to be. And if we still have a working relationship together, and it's like, if you're a dick to someone off the bat, they're going to remember that, you know? So it's like, I don't know. I think it goes... Like being nice to people goes a lot further than, you know, just surface level, like pleasantries, you know?
0: Right. Like I definitely, I I see a common symptom of people kind of treating everybody exactly the same. Because I think there's a difference between like being nice to everybody and then treating everybody like your best friend. Like, hey, buddy. Like that whole just like, whoa, dude, like I don't need all of that like coming from you right now. Like you can treat me like a normal human being and not just this, you know, this facade of like I'm the nicest person of all time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. That, yeah. That's just slime ball, like, yeah, hey, we're best friends. Let's fucking shake hands, you know? Like, that,
0: <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> no, for sure. Um, so, yeah, like you mentioned, you were born and raised in the Midwest. Where in particular? Was it in the Chicago area or where did you come up?
1: In the Chicago area. So, my parents are both from Chicago, moved to the suburbs when I was a kid. Very, you know, normal, boring, whatever. As soon as I turned 18, though, I got the hell out of the suburbs moved back to the city, um, being Chicago, and then had been there kind of ever since. I've moved around a little bit, as you know. But um, but yeah, most of my life has been spent in Chicago. I love being here. Um, my family's here. It's really nice being um, kind of centrally located in the United States, I think, because I go to New York often, I go to Los Angeles often, I go to Boston often, and it's like a flight from Chicago to those places is like two or three hours. So it's not, you know, it's not like a full day of traveling. I'm not, you know, sitting on an airplane for five hours. I'm able to get where I need to go easily and quickly. And it's just, it's a good place to live,
0: yeah. I think. It's a, hu- it's a hub. It is a hub. The, um, and so what you have, uh, correct me, you have a younger sister, correct? Or I do.
1: I have a younger sister and an older sister.
0: Okay. So you're, you're the middle child.
1: Yes, I am. You had to
0: you had to, uh, you had to uh, get your parents' attention um, by uh, acting out?
1: <laughs> no, I was like I said my like it was my childhood was really like normal and kind of boring. I'd never really acted out. I just I don't know. I guess Yeah, I'm not I guess I'm not a typical middle child. I'm right. just kind of like, yeah, whatever.
0: I'm here, you know. <laughs> sure. Um, and what were your what were your parents doing at the time as you were kind of, you know, being raised uh, professionally?
1: Um, my dad was, um, he recently retired, but he was like a shipping and logistics coordinator for a trucking company. Um, nothing super cool or interesting. And my mom was a stay at home mom.
0: Got it. So she had, well, yeah, obviously she had her hands full with, uh, with three girls running around the house.
1: Yeah. That's enough to make anyone. <laughs> yeah. <comfortable with>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so your, your, your dad was completely outnumbered.
1: Oh yeah so still is he has grandkids granddaughters you know no not no men inside except for his son-in-law sons-in-law
0: <laughs> That's that's funny that's always a uh, it's an interesting vibe how that um tends to I've I've noticed in other friends that have that sort of makeup of you know completely surrounded by women it totally has a tendency to um no matter what that father's upbringing was like to soften them you know to be to be the point where it's like they obviously are more kind of uh, in tune to uh, feelings or emotions in some ways that maybe uh, you know other people of that same generation aren't
1: oh god completely yes. <laughs> he's had <no> choice <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's true he's like i can either be on my island and just kind of be stoic or like i can get in the fray
1: yeah.
0: Poor guy. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> and so you, I mean, you, you describe your, your upbringing as very uh, kind of, uh, I guess, typical but um, and suburban. Uh, but what kind of person did you find yourself as you started to, you know, get into high school and start to develop kind of your own identities and interests and everything like that? Like, were you, you know, were you into sports or were you basically, was music kind of your thing? Where did you find yourself?
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, music um, has kind of, was always my thing. Like, um. I I guess I got an interest in, like, subculture, if you will, <laughs> like, my probably freshman, sophomore, no, I'm sorry, I was, like, eighth grade, started, like, you know, listening to The Cure, and, like, I don't know, I was just immediately, you know, attracted to, to kind of subculture, and then started getting into, like, punk when I was in high school, like, freshman, sophomore year, and, like, I guess my form of rebellion was that, like, you know, on sc- school nights, my parents didn't want me to to go to shows and whatnot. So I would like, you know, sneak out and like go to the fireside bowl and go see punk bands. And I would come home super late, like just like reeking of like cigarettes. Cause that's when you could smoke inside. And my parents had to know that I wasn't out like studying, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of immediately drawn to it and music became like an honest to God passion. Um, as I'm sure it's not, um, unique to me, but you know, once I was introduced to it, I kind of like, Had to dig and like I wanted to find out everything that I could about these bands and like these record labels and I would like, you know, handwrite letters and get stickers and catalogs and order shit and like it just, it became kind of like more than a hobby. It was like, not like an obsession, but kind of an obsession. It's just like I wanted to find out everything that I could and I did. And the more I got into it, the more I loved it. And I guess here I am now. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) It's
1: like my career. (laughs) uh,
0: What was your, like, who who was kind of exposing you to that stuff? Like, you know, was it your older sibling or was it just kind of your friends around you?
1: Um, Both, I guess. Like, my, you know, my older sister, she's two years older than me. Her friends, like, I would kind of tag along with them, but I was, you know, like, the the freshman, like, loser kid. But some of her friends were, like, surface level into, um, like, punk and, and whatnot. And then, you know, it just became, like, obviously you know you go to you go to school and you're wearing a t-shirt especially at this time you know and then like there's some kid who's like oh holy shit i've heard of that band like let's let's talk and then you know you just kind of network that way and then i kind of had assembled a, a group of friends where we all you know lived in neighboring suburbs and we would all like borrow our parents cars and drive to shows when we weren't supposed to and then try to get home before a curfew and you know
0: yeah, we're, I de- I always find it, it funny because uh, the you know suburban upbringing in regards to like you know curfews and like how you how you basically tried to fi- like get the most out of whatever that curfew may be. So say it's eleven. Obviously, you're going to the show until you know ten forty five. When you're like, I got to go right now in order to get home by eleven.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, lots of nights like that where I come home, my parents were just waiting up for me. Now, that, I mean, everyone everyone being like my, my siblings, my parents now think it's hilarious because it's something that I've literally built my career off of. Um, but at the time it was, you know, lots of like, yeah, uh, our project went late and, um, sorry, my friend's mom, uh, their dogs got set on fire and now I'm, you know, <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. yeah. What, what excuses can I come up with on the drive over there?
1: <laughs> of course. Yeah. So
0: did you, uh, did you focus on school? Was school like interesting to you as far as learning or was it kind of like, I just can't wait to get out of here?
1: I love school. Um, I still love school,
0: <laughs> which is <laughs> right.
1: weird and lame, I guess. But I was always a really good student, um, you know, like on a roll and did really well. So my parents couldn't really like get on my case too much because I was, you know, I had really good grades and, and whatnot. So um, I loved school. Um, like I said, I still I still like school. Um I take extracurricular classes here and there. I like foreign language and whatnot. It's just I don't know. I think it's fun. I like learning. I was really good at like, like language and communication and stuff. Again, things that I use every day with my job. So it's a good thing I was good at. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So so you weren't the uh, the math and science person. You were definitely more so the the uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, creative arts.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: Got it. Um, the uh, and I. I, I the Once you started to obviously consume this this subculture and start to go to shows and start to notice um, all of the, uh, the the things that happened within the scene and stuff like that, um, w- was it one of those things, like, obviously, it's intimidating for anybody of any age to kind of start going to shows, but then obviously you being a female and kind of like, oh, like, there's a lot of dudes here. Like, you know, was there any, any semblance of that thought process going through your head where it was just like, oh, I seem to be in the minority when I'm going to these shows?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean... I guess it was something I noticed, but it was something I just never cared about and I still don't care about. I actually get asked kind of often, um, you know, like, what's it like being a woman working in music and this, that, and the other thing? And it's like, I actually don't even notice. I've never experienced anything negative. I've never necessarily felt out of place or weird. Um, I've never personally experienced any kind of like sexism in that regard. Um, And when I was younger, I just thought I was super cool, like super cool girl, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: but. Well, you you definitely i mean just knowing you as as well as I do you definitely give off a vibe where it's like you you can not only whatever hang with the dudes but then you can obviously you know you are a female and you can hang out with your female friends like they're uh whereas obviously there are are some females that it's like it's harder to kind of you know be with the guys be like oh I don't I don't know I don't really have anything to talk to them about beyond just this one particular band or whatever the case may be. But it seems like you could you could kind of flip between the two and it was relatively easy for you to do that.
1: Oh, for sure. And actually like the coolest part of it is is from that I met several or many other like like like-minded women like myself who felt the same way and, and through that have made some of my be- the best friends of my whole life, you know. Girlfriends that is. So,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's I cool.
1: It's awesome. Yeah.
0: It, and because I, I, I it's always easy to look at the the idea of uh, or whatever the the common um, I'm trying to think of the appropriate word uh, uh, where it's like, oh, you're a girl going to a show. It's like, oh, your your boyfriend must be playing and like that that whole <laughs> because it's like I mean, it's it's so funny where it's just like whatever, you know, when I was 15 that I noticed that being a thing um, and then it. it it still permeates, you know, some twenty odd years later, where it's just like, oh, the only reason a girl can attend a show is like if their, you know, significant other is there and or playing. It's like they could probably be into that music as well, right?
1: Of course, yeah. I mean, I anytime, I mean, I always call bullshit on that. If if anyone's like, oh, you your boyfriend here, it's like, no, it's fine. I, you know, I'm legitimately into this stuff and just kind of like brush it off. It's just, I don't know, it's almost like a waste of breath at that point.
0: Right. Right. It's, yeah, you like, you don't even want to address it because it's just like, what I I don't know.
1: It doesn't even need to be addressed, in my opinion, at least.
0: It's a waste of your time. Yeah. Um, And so then as you started to graduate, you know, have your eyes set on, you know, graduation and start to look for career options and that sort of stuff, where did you find yourself uh, gravitating towards? Or was it the idea of like, I want to work with music in some capacity?
1: I had no idea. So I graduated high school. Um, I went to community college for two years um, like I said, I had like moved from the suburbs into the city because I, you know, wanted to be around, be around, you know, friends and shows and, you know, things like that. But, um, I actually had no idea what I wanted to do and, um, I had kind of just like run the gamut of like waitressing, bartending, you know, just kind of whatever bullshit entry level jobs. And then. I saw I don't even think it was Craigslist, I think it was before Craigslist, somewhere on the internet on the the bowels of the internet. I had found a job listing for um like a secretary position at a record label mm-hmm. in Chicago. And so I was like two years two years deep in school, I'd been kind of like didn't know what I wanted to do, I was kind of getting bored with it, thought I was just kind of spinning my wheels, was more interested in working. and so um, I stopped going to school. Said I found that job listing and I applied for it and it was for a record label in Chicago as I'm sure you know which is how you met me mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that was uh, I stopped going to school and then started working and um, yeah here I am
0: <laughs> that's great okay so I I didn't know that you started out as 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 a secretary there I I I mean I knew that obviously there was an entry point for you but I didn't know that that was the entry point that's funny
1: yeah it's crazy also because I was not like an intern or anything I just mm-hmm. got. In, like an
0: office job there. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and it's funny too, because like, I think most people, uh, I mean, job listings obviously still happen within the independent music industry, but it's so rare. Like, yeah. Because it's like, it's not like, especially these sort of highly coveted jobs within a record label, it's usually like, oh, yeah, here's like, you know, a, a digital assistant that will put in metadata for hours at a time, you know, um, like, that's a job listing, but then you would never see um, something. I mean, even even though an administrative assistant, secretary, whatever, like that position would still be like, probably not listed as often as you would imagine.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's usually kind of like you know, promoting from within or who, you know, and I just got lucky and stumbled upon it, um, and applied and got the and job. And then got
0: the job. Um, yeah. so the, uh, did you ever have any, any desire to like, um, I guess like play in a band or like do a zine or like any of those other sort of, um, you know, extracurricular activities like beyond just like going to the show or like, how are you trying to, um, because you were consuming so much of it, how are you trying to, I guess, get even more involved?
1: You know, prior to actually working at a record label, I never did anything that, like, took off. Like, a couple of my friends, like, kind of started a half-assed zine where we would, like, write record reviews and stuff. But, you know, it didn't get any further than, like, pretty much, like, our circle of friends. And Mm -hmm. I never, like, I had never really booked any shows because I was, like, I already knew everyone who did that stuff. Um, (laughs) You know, like, my friends were already doing it, so I was just kind of around it.
0: Right. So you were just you were able to observe kind of everybody you knew was already doing something, and you're just like, oh, I don't know where I don't know where I fit if I am like looking at this in the professional terms, like where would I go?
1: Right, and then I legitimately just got a job like at a record label as you know a secretary as my as my entry point, which is bizarre now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For sure, uh, was it uh, once you started to work there? Was it? Um, and I'm putting a pause here just you obviously do not want to mention the label name is that oh correct? no we can't okay I don't know no, like, that's fine <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I was picking up on your cues but we will um anyways unpause <laughs> the uh <laughs> so I mean that because was that in, like early 2000s so like 2001-ish or so that you started working for Victory
1: correct it was in 2001
0: okay um and so I mean th- at that time it was so um the label was obviously in that sort of weird transition phase of being like, hey, we are the absolute powerhouse of uh, you know, independent, hardcore, and punk. And it was like – I mean I can't tell you how important Victory was in my life. Um, the, the, yeah. the Victory magazine and me going to my mom every Christmas being like, hey, I want to order $300 worth of merch from here. Can I do that, please? And then- yeah,
1: for me too, which is why it was like kind of surreal that that was – where I was able to get my first, you know, my first anything working in music was at, at this label that I had um been listening to for so long and like buying records and shirts and this, that and the other thing. I I don't even know like I I guess I, I never thought that it was like an attainable goal and then it just kind of, you know, right, happens. Right. So,
0: anyway. Were, were you were you freaked out when you were going into there as far as like interview is concerned, or were you just kinda like, all right, I gotta try to play this cool?
1: Oh, my God, I was totally freaked out, but I played it super cool. Like, I mean, I was young. I was, t- I think, 20. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, didn't, you know, I didn't really know anything aside from the fact that, like, I loved music. Like, I'm pretty sure in my interview there, I was like, you know, um, you know, I, I've been, you know, had, like, uh, some, some jobs, like, some office jobs and whatever. But I think, like, my selling point on myself was, like, yeah, so, like, Snapcase is, like, my favorite band, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> It was totally, it was totally surreal. It was really cool.
0: Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, so the, the label was obviously in that transition phase of like, that's what they were known for. And then obviously signing all the bands, like, you know, taking back Sunday and Thursday and uh, Hawthorne Heights and all that stuff was swirling around. So it was, I presume it was a really exciting time to kind of be at the label and watch all these like crazy growth steps being happening kind of all around you
1: it was so awesome. Cause like I said, like when I, when I got into it, it was like, that's when the label was kind of on the cusp of, you know, breaking out of just being like a punk and hardcore brand, if you will. Like, you know, I'd gone in there and like, that's when I started working there, Thursday's full collapse had just come out. Um, and that was, as you and I both know, just like a monumental album um, for the label and for, for the genre and kind of beyond. So I started a, at a really special time when I got to, um, I guess, see the ins and outs of what happens when when a label has that kind of growth, and how do um, I guess kind of keep that you know have it continue and like all the 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 bands that were signed after that and before that and you know how the label had diversified and it was it was really really incredible thing to, to watch
0: for sure because I think it's it it, it does. Um... Honestly, it irks me and I kind of feel like uh, – well, I don't feel weirdly protective. I feel protective over the legacy that obviously, you know, Victory and Tony in general has, has created where it's just like obviously it's really easy for people in the past, you know, 10 years or so to just be like, oh, like the fucking worst. And it's just like – but at the same time, it's like you 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 have to look at what obviously came before that as well where it's like the the momentum that – Like you're talking about that time had where it was like, you know, you guys were pouring gasoline on fire and it was like unbelievable to watch that growth of like, you know, a band coming through Southern California on tour uh, playing in front of 200 people. And then the next time they come through, they're playing in front of a thousand people. And that's like six months. And you're just like, how the fuck does that happen?
1: Yeah, it was mind blowing. And I still to this day feel super lucky. Um, that I was able to experience all that firsthand. Yeah. Um, it was it was just, it was like a really, truly beautiful thing to watch, especially with the band Thursday. Um, yeah. You know, they were playing like huge radio shows and like, you know, I remember seeing them in Chicago at like a Q101, which is like the alternative station here at like one of their festivals, playing in front of literally thousands of people and being on stage and being like, holy shit, you know, right? Like, you know.
0: So how how did did you, um, I guess, you know, sort of internally move up to where obviously PR, like, you know, because you ended up like towards the end of your tenure there, you were kind of like PR, A&R, like you were kind of, you know, doing multiple things at the label. Um, So how did that sort of evolution kind of happen internally?
1: So, like I said, my first job there was just a secretary. Um, I think I was only in that position for maybe six months because um, I was really... Like I said, I've always been really passionate about music and I was very like forthcoming about my, uh, you know, wanting to do more than just be a secretary at the label. So I think my first promotion was like running, um, the street team, which was cool, which is a really great way to network, um, across the country. And some of those kids who are on the street team, I still talk to to this day, which is insane. Um, and then from running the street team, I started doing, um, advertising, I think, and then I started doing video promotion, which was cool. And then I started doing tour publicity. And then, um yeah, and then that's, like, when I uh, I quit around when I was doing video and um PR. And also A&R, as you know. Um But I everyone there, like, there was never, like, a specific A&R person. Everyone just kind of, there was a band that you were into, you'd kind of bring it to a meeting. And everyone in the office would talk about it and sign them if they were into it or pass if they weren't, you know.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, that's true. It was It was always... It, it, see, it seems so interesting, obviously, how that process worked internally. Just like as I got to obviously know you and the ins and outs of of how Victory worked at that time, and it was just, it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see where it was like, yeah, you were <laughs> you were doing PR, but at the same time, it was like so many bands were going to you directly because you already had this great relationship with them, um, and so it was. Uh, I'm sure it was an interesting navigation, playing a, a middle person um, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for stories or anything like that, but just the, the idea of you being like, Hey, we we want to talk to Stephanie because, you know, she'll, she'll be able to help us out and be able to do this. Um, but then also you obviously, you know, you had a boss and you were reporting to a person being able to be like, Oh no, like this is, this is what's happening. Like, you know, no one's going behind your back or anything like that. You had to be in this weird, um, dual role there. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, like I said a lot of people there had a and r duties, but you can tell by how diverse the label um was at yeah. the time it's like if I had just been the only if i was the only a r person the whole label would have just been like super heavy you know right. <laughs> stuff i listened to um but it was it was a a healthy mix which is i think due to everyone having kind of a say in what what bands were brought on so
0: yeah the uh the only other thing i wanted to uh, uh pry into in regards to uh, victory was the fact like kind of like how you're mentioning anecdotally that that story of you know watching thursday at you know the q101 thing <clears throat> were there uh, were there any m- more sort of like concrete moments in your head of those sort of wild experiences of like oh my gosh like here was this band that like no one knew about and then all of a sudden you know like hawthorne heights obviously is a prime example of like no one knew that band and then all of a sudden <laughs> you know you've got you've got gold records hanging on your wall to attribute the fact that they yeah. sold so many records like any other sort of anecdotal moments that you can remember of being like this is fucking insane this is happening
1: oh for sure there were some absolute life-changing moments like you mentioned hawthorne heights that one was a little bit more formulaic because we had already gone through taking back sunday at that point and thursday at that point so it was kind of like we um those of us working there kind of already knew what to do um the taking back sunday thing still to this day is like I could just gush about that band and working with them. It was, it was such an amazing experience. And for me professionally, like I had just started doing video promo. That's when, you know, video networks were like, like MTV infused and whatnot. We're still playing videos constantly. And it was like a full-time job to, to actually be getting your videos on those channels. But I remember getting, um, taking back Sunday on TRL when that was still a show. And, that was like an absolute life-changing career moment for me, like sitting in the office, watching my, like watching a little TV over my desk and seeing them like on total request live, which you remember how big that shit was at the time. It was like, you know, like actual pop stars. And here we have this, like, you know, this little label in Chicago and this little band from New Jersey, um, you know, on this TV screen it was kind of mind blowing. And then I was like, a moment where I realized I could actually be good at what I, or I was actually good at what I did, you know, like I was seeing the results. Um, so that was super gratifying. Um, I think another one um from working there, like another band that I don't even know if there was like one necessarily monumental moment with them, but um the band Between the Buried and Me is a band that, um that was actually the first band that I had ever like, was, it was my first A&R project. I remember seeing that band, a really small show in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, It was a a little festival and I was just blown away by their performance and kind of like started talking to them and we became friends, brought them to the label. They got signed and watching them. I think while I worked there, they put out, we re-released our self-titled album and they put out the silent circus in Alaska while I was still there and just exponential, like immediate exponential growth with that band because they were like, you know, they were a little band from North Carolina, um, just I- absolutely incredible musicians. And it was kind of like, we signed them, we put out the record, the stars aligned and they just blew up. And as I'm sure, you know, there's still like, they're still an incredible, an incredible band doing incredible things. Um, you know, still selling tons of records and touring and, and just doing things the right way. And it was just, it's, it was a pleasure to watch them. It still is um, a pleasure to watch them continue to grow and release music.
0: Yeah, to be but to be there, like you were saying, sort of on the giving the band the foundation of just like how they could obviously build build their career moving forward. It's like that's a you know that's a that's an awesome thing to be able to you know ten to fifteen years later look back on it and be like, dude, they're they're still they're still a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And yeah, just the whole experience was it was a huge learning experience for me. Cause like I said, it was the first band that I had ever like, you know, really had my hands on and it, they went on to do amazing things. And it was every step of the way. It was just, it was, it was something new for me and it was so exciting.
0: That's awesome. I wanted to poke at something tiny that you said in there that I think is, uh, I think a lot of people, especially when you do start to work at stuff when you are really young, <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's that, that sort of imposter syndrome where you're just like, dude, I can't believe I'm here. This is weird. Why are you like paying money me money to me to like work the stuff that I care about and like? But you mentioned like with the TRL and Taking Back Sunday experience where you that was when you kind of it kind of dawned on you like, hey, I'm actually like good at this. Like this is something that I was able to you know bring to fruition and make happen. Um, was that? Um, was that a pretty weird moment for you to like i guess have that rec- you know recognition of the fact that you were good at something um and kept It
1: totally was like you said it was like when i was doing that job i was just like this is so great i just love what i do i hope i'm doing a good job you know cuz it's like i didn't know a lot then <laughs> i had never done that before and that like that moment i was like oh holy shit like my hard work actually paid off this is a thing that i along with a team of people and a band who wrote a really incredible record um but this is a thing that that i helped make happen and it was amazing
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um and then uh so and then you you left victory so like in the mid 2000s or something like that um you and so basically at that point you were going on on your own and like was that i presume that was was that the the original plan or was it like hey i just need to leave victory and then i'll figure out what's happening or where was your head kind of at
1: yeah i had no clue i just quit um I quit in 2000, oh, 2005, 2006, okay. something like that. Um, yeah, I just quit. I had no plan, really. I was just going like, to take some time off. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in music. I was kind of burnt out at working at labels and whatever. And I remember it wasn't even a week after I quit. I got a phone call um, from my friend Carl Hansel, who I don't know. Do you know him? Do you know Carl? I do. Um, great guy. So I knew Carl. He was in a band on Victory called Martyr AD.
0: <laughs> um, yes.
1: He, and they had like broken up or whatever, and Carl had moved to Boston and he was working um, at a label called Bridge Nine, and he was label managing. And so he found out that I quit Victory, and he calls me and he was like, "Hey, what are you doing?" I'm like, "Nothing. I just like quit my job. I don't know what's going on." And he was, he asked me, he's like, um, "Do you do you think that you would ever like like do independent publicity?" <laughs> And it kind of hadn't crossed my mind yet just because I literally had no plan. And so I was like, let me think about it. And I called him back and I was like, yeah, I mean, that's something I could do. Like, are you guys looking to hire? And and he was saying, yeah, you, you know, Bridget and I lost, um, lost their publicist and needed somebody to work on a couple records. And and I guess the rest is history. He was, uh, um, I guess, my they were, Bridget and I was my first client. And if it wasn't for Carl calling me, I'm not sure that, I guess I would have formed an independent publicity company, although I'm sure I would have at some point, but um, that was certainly the catalyst at the time. And then um, started working with bridge nine and then started picking up some other labels here and there. And
0: right. The, uh, so, so were you, you were going through some sort of like real soul searching moments, I'm sure like, obviously, like you said, because you quit victory and you didn't even know if you wanted to kind of continue down the music path. Um, was it uh was it one of those things, I mean, this is kind of two questions wrapped up into it, but, like, I'm sure your parents were kind of watching you, you know, do cool things at the label, and then, like, when you quit, like, was there, you know, concern on their end where they were like, hey, um, like, so are you still going to do this music thing? Like, how about you do some, like, real job stuff? Or, like, or or was that, or they were they just supportive in general?
1: They're so supportive in general. They've, like, <laughs> I've done some weird shit in my life. I mean, not super <laughs> weird, but they've just been like, yeah, man, whatever you want to do, like we'll help you chase your dreams kind of thing. But they had seen me. I mean, when I quit victory, I was burnt out. Like I had been worked to the bone and just kind of needed a break. And, you know, that was my only experience working in the industry. So part of me was afraid that that's how it was always going to be. Like, you know, what if I, what if I stay working in music and, you know, I, you know, I have a heart attack at like 25, you know? Um, but then obviously I realized that that wasn't the case and, working for myself was awesome and working for other labels is super awesome. Um,
0: yeah. did, did you, uh, and so was it, um, was it difficult for you to kind of, uh, I guess, muster up the courage to, you know, do, do the thing on your own, even though, like you said, only like a week had obviously passed and, you know, having one client, like for something that you didn't even know you wanted to start, um, or. or- so was it was it difficult for you to kind of like, all right, this is the path rather than just like, oh, I'll dip in my toe here and like, but I got to think about something else. And if, uh, Although if this thing doesn't work out, this whole independent PR thing doesn't work out.
1: Honestly, no. I mean, everything that I do, and I think that you know this about me, like pretty much everything that I do, I do it 110%. Like balls to the wall, like I'm not going to half-ass it. I started working independently and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to run with this. And I... I'm still running with it. Um, I did take a little break, um, but I still, so I started, I stopped working in music full time. So like, okay, so just to go back, like 2005, 2006, I quit Victory. I started um, doing like full-time independent music publicity um, with Bridge and I and various other labels. Um, And then in like 2008, I got a job offer um, with an independent film company um, doing publicity. So I took that on as my full-time job. Semi-briefly, though, it didn't, It lasted about a year, and then I just realized my heart was not into film. But that being said, I also still kept um, a few music clients on the side. So after my day job working in film, I would go home at night and work on all my music stuff. So it was something that I never, you know, I never lost any passion for. And if anything, over the years, it's just gotten, you know, more and more serious.
0: The... Um... Mentioning you mentioned this earlier, obviously, like we, one of the major reasons you left Victory is because you were so burnt out. And you know, I mean, I I, I always remember every time I came through Chicago and <laughs> and hung out with you, and you know, we definitely did the uh you know uh sitting with each other and having real deep conversations about both of our label experiences. Um, the the uh, the the pressure that I, I was watching you feel and sort of the burnout that you were feeling. How have you obviously taken that and not because since you do work for yourself, you can pretty much put, you know, 18 hours a day into it because you are the one determining your own workload. Um, how have you kind of like taken that experience and been like, all right, there needs to be some semblance of balance. Otherwise, you know, I will burn myself out again pretty quickly.
1: Dude, it's a really fine line. Like, um, I have a really insane work ethic to begin with. And when I worked at Victory, I got super burnt out because I had an insane work ethic and we were expected to have an insane work ethic. So it was just like super nonstop, 24 hours a day all the time. And now that I'm on my own, I do, you know, work long hours and I'm kind of never not working, but it's just a balance that I kind of had to find on my own. Like I have to, you know, I have, I actually have a a pretty like strict schedule, like, like routine for myself, like, every day I'm off the computer at a certain time and I'm on the computer at a certain time. And, you know, I've just had to set limitations for myself, but it it, it actually wasn't hard because I, I've been on the other side of it where I got so, you know, so exhausted and burnt out that it was just like, okay, this is a thing that I need to make sure that I do so I can continue to do my job and actually be good at it and not just be this like absent space cadet because I'm constantly doing a thousand things at once. And even like, I, I even like with my workload uh, only allow myself like X amount of projects to be working on at a time because I know that um, it's all I can handle. <laughs> and I want to do a good job and I don't want to feel like shit and I don't want to feel crazy and overworked. It's just it's just a balance I've had to find.
0: Right, yeah. Because that, that, that is difficult, especially when it's like, you know, you're, I, I find it obviously very interesting too, where it's like you haven't taken the uh, typical approach of, uh, you know, like naming some PR company and it's like you've done the business obviously under your name um and the you know the branding of yourself it has you've never been concerned about that um and it, i find it so interesting because obviously most other people completely swim against that grain or just like oh i need to have a name for myself in order to feel like i'm um you know le- legitimate or people will take me seriously but it's like obviously you uh have chosen completely against that so that i presume that was a very deliberate decision
1: Yeah, it was. I just, I mean, I, my work, I guess, speaks for itself and I'm, you know, people hire me to do my thing for them. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm very behind the scenes and I guess I just, I don't feel like I needed like to hide behind a company to do that. I am, you know, I work, it's myself and an assistant. Um, and I literally have my hands on every single thing I do and it's all me. And, I think people hire me because of that. So I want it to be known that it is, this is, Hey, this is me. That's working on it. I'm a real person. I have an assistant who does background stuff, but I, you know, will start and finish a project and I will do it to the absolute best of my abilities.
0: Right. Right. Um, and this kind of goes along with the question of, of, of balance as well, where it's just like, because, um, because it's really easy. Um, you know, I mean for both men and women that are involved in, you know, independent music in general, it's very easy to, um, you know, want to, uh, be with people, date people that are obviously immediately surrounding you in regards to like, Oh, people in bands and other people that are going to shows and like completely be consumed by it. But it's like, obviously, you, you know, your, your husband is a tattoo artist. Um, I Obviously, he has a connection with music and knows everything that you're working, but um, I presume it's also nice to obviously have something beyond just like two people existing in the same exact universe talking about the same exact things over and over.
1: Oh, God, of course. I mean, it helps that we certainly understand where – he understands where I come from and I understand where he comes from because he comes from the same background. It's just professionally um, – we don't do the same thing and it's very nice. <laughs> like when he gets home from work, I can kind of talk about what I do, but it's not, you know, it's not all we talk about, which is a, a very good thing.
0: Right. You you you're not talking about all of the all of the uh t- this is what happened on the internet today. This was so crazy because this band did this thing.
1: Yeah, he'll just look at me and give me like an eye roll and then I know to stop. <laughs>
0: That's funny, Um, but I I presume that took some navigation for you to realize that's like uh, I mean, because I myself, like the you know, if I was uh, dating a girl who was really involved in the music scene, it was definitely one of those things where it was just like that's all that's all. If that's all we have to talk about, then like this isn't really a solid foundation. Did you have to kind of navigate that yourself as well?
1: Um, Wait, I'm not sure what you're asking. No,
0: basically just like tried to figure out like, you know, when you were uh, dating people and you were, you know, uh, obviously going to shows and doing all that and working at label, um, did you have to kind of realize that like, oh, like maybe – it would be nice to, you know, be with a person that isn't exactly completely as piped into music as I was.
1: Oh God, yeah, especially working in it because you need a break. Like you need to have a real life outside of it, which is super important. That and that comes like how I mentioned, kind of having like the the balance, like the work balance. I think a work life balance is especially important, especially when you work in um, a field such as ours. It's like it's pretty easy, I feel, to get out of touch with the real world when so much of your day is spent like. Oh, what are people saying about this song premiere I just did on this, you know, fucking message board or whatever? Like, right. it's it's good to be able to like get out and do other things and have other interests and hobbies and have a, a partner um, that supports you in your work and also your extracurricular stuff to to keep a, a healthy balance.
0: Right. Yeah. Keep it. Keep a perspective and realize that, like, yeah, like the, the sky isn't falling if this particular, like you said, this this premiere didn't like get as many streams as you wanted to or whatever.
1: Yeah. Kevin's really good about helping me with that stuff.
0: That's good. Um, and I'm sure just because of, I mean, obviously like uh, so many of the projects that you've worked recently, just because you've kind of expanded your own, um, resume in regards to, you know, not not just working, you know, metal and hardcore records, you definitely work, you know, whatever, Def Heaven record, Paul Bear, like, you know, Chelsea Wolf, like a lot of, a lot of the stuff that would be, I I like to personally define as artistic metal. That's, that's my own uh, descriptor on it. Um, I'm sure that's obviously opened you up to so many different experiences because so many different, uh, outlets are like paying attention to those sort of bands. Whereas like, you know, you could have never taken a, you know, a half heart or something like that to, uh, you know, pitchfork or whatever. Um, how has that been? Um, obviously because you're expanding your roster, I presume it's exciting, but, um, how, how, was it when you kind of first started to work those sort of type of bands? Was it like pretty exciting because you could talk to people that you never would have been able to talk to before?
1: Absolutely. Um, so I never worked with Chelsea Wolf. Um, Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, but so yeah, so like, uh, you know, f- like getting started with independent PR first client, you know, a hardcore label, um, you know, had kind of stayed in that realm for a little while. And then I started working with labels like Deathwish. um, and their roster while heavy music roster is a little different. Um, as you know, um, as I know that you follow them, but, um, I think the first record that I worked with them, um, that was like, a oh, holy shit, I'm really good at this again moment. Um, when it was a little bit different was, um, Death Heaven's Sunbather. That was such, that was like another, that was like the equivalent of like my Taking Back Sunday TRL moment all over again. It was such a beautiful thing to watch that record, like, like from start to finish, like watch it be recorded put, you know, put the work in to get it set up for its publicity campaign, watch them go on tour. Um, you know, the the things that that band did, the music that they wrote um, allowed me, uh, it, it made it easy for me to do my job. It made it easy for me to hit up people at Pitchfork who I, necess- it wasn't necessarily, you know, like I had a, a relationship with, but by no means, you know, was I super close to these people just because a lot of the music that I worked with at that time um, didn't, you know, didn't really warrant me pitching them if that makes sense um but that was like an absolute like cornerstone record like working like working with Deathwish has been amazing. I think that pretty much every record they put out is is incredible in its own regard but but sunbather was just such a such a big deal for everyone and I think like even even going into it like when we had heard like the demos and like when the recording came back, everybody was just like holy shit like this this is this is legit. And it wasn't, it definitely, certainly wasn't accidental. It was very calculated and it was very, um, you know, lots of, lots of pitching and lots of, you know, at least on my end, um, it was just, it was a really, really beautiful experience. And it's, it's even better to watch and see where they're at now. Um, and and then that working with deaf heaven opened so many other doors for me. Like I, I feel like my, career trajectory has reflected I guess my own personal shifts in taste if that makes sense like you know I started off as like you know kind of punk and whatever and then like got like you know more into hardcore and like metal and then now as I'm getting older it's like I'm into you know the the thinking man's metal if you will Mm -hmm. you know like bands like Paul Bearer. I got to work on the Foundations of Burden album, which was another just absolutely mind-blowing record and an incredible experience and an amazing group of people. Um, And that was really special. And it was was really amazing to watch all of the work that, you know, all the super calculated work that we've been able to do um, as far as like making like a publicity plan and like letting it rip and having it actually succeed and work the way we wanted it to happen. Um, That was another just absolute career
0: highlight for yeah. me and how, how is it because i'm i'm always curious it's it's one of those things where it's like obviously uh you know most of the pr work that, that you put into it is obviously the lead up of the record and then you know a couple months after the fact <clears throat> but what What is it when, like, you know, obviously using those two records as an example where it's like there was, you know, so much interest for such a long and sustained period of time where how do you – like, you know, after the fire is already, you know, caught and people are hitting you up left and right, um, is is that almost, like, just as hard to be able to navigate, like, all right – is, like, is this a good look? Is this like a serious thing? Like, should we pursue this? And like, uh, or, or do you feel like the actual build up of the record is is harder? Um, I'm just curious.
1: I think the build up is harder because, like, going into it, like every project, like I'll put together kind of like a whether a small band or a large band, I'll put together kind of like a press plan, what I think I can get, what I would like to get, um, make sure we're all kind of on the same page, and sometimes frankly shit doesn't happen and you have to like work really 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 hard to actually make it happen you know and that's a hard part for me it's kind of like i i don't mind like the the kind of firing squad when people are constantly requesting things from me and we have to figure out whether or not it's good look that's a great problem i love being in that place but um i think that that the the real like the real shit is like the actual album setup. Um, it can, it can get a little tough sometimes. Um, like I said, especially if people aren't responding the way you want them to. Um, and you just have to work as hard as you can to get there.
0: And, and that That's actually an important point I was going to ask about too, where it's like the, uh, I'm sure most of your job too is the idea of managing expectations because it's like i mean I, I could probably apply that to most things in the music industry of just like all right like this is what we're shooting for but like we don't necessarily know if we're going to get it and um you know sometimes people uh, you know whatever managers bands maybe come to the table with some unrealistic ideas and then you have to try to like talk them back um what's been <clears throat> what's been your kind of experience with that sort of um you know, I guess maybe a strategy or a plan that you have in your head in order to be like, hey, I want to be real with you, um, but we are we are still going to kick ass, but I want to be real with you.
1: I'm, I don't have to talk people off of a ledge very often. Um, I think that usually the type of clients that I have um, are generally very realistic and very open to whatever I have to say. Again, I'm very fortunate in that regard because a lot of people don't have that luxury. Um, I don't think I've ever actually had a problem where expectations were too far off or not met or whatever. I think it's just being like, I'm, I'm pretty brutally honest with people. Like if shit's not happening, I'll be like, you know, shit's not happening. I'll show you all the work that I'm doing and who I'm talking to. And this is what I'm getting back. And it's important just to be really open and honest in every single point of a publicity campaign, Um, just to keep people on the same page. Like you have to do it. Like I'm, I'm not here to blow smoke up your ass. I'm here to do a good job. And I'm going to uh, do everything that I can and I'm going to communicate with you in very real time about what's going on just so it's not, you know, two days before an album release and I have to call you and be like, hey, so remember uh, that conversation we had three months ago about setting up the record? Well, uh, I couldn't make any of that happen. So here's what you're left with. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I'd rather just be there every step of the way and just be very communicative about and honest about what's happening.
0: Right, right. Yeah, you're you're not just dropping off a pile of crap at them like, you know, a week before the record.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's the, I think that's the best way to manage expectations is just from the get go, set it up the way that you think you can do it. And if things aren't happening, be honest in real time, you know, just to keep, keep people in the loop.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, there's two, two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. Um, was the, um, the idea that obviously, because like you mentioned, it's literally just you and obviously, uh, you know, one other person that you work with, um, I'm sure that now, because you obviously have so many successful records under your belt, you know people have kind of come at you being like, "Oh, how about you work with with uh, us and like do you know like be our label PR person and like uh, you know I'm sure offers have come to you um, in that regard, but you you seem to me just obviously c- completely uh, content at obviously the level you're at, like you know, I, or would you like to hire more staff and like have th- this sort of support system uh, underneath you, or is it like? No, I'm I'm really managing this well and I really really like the kind of level that I'm at.
1: That's a good question. Like as much as I like to grow and I am growing uh every, you know, every year that I've been working independently has been better than the one before it. I just know that I'm such a psycho and like I have to literally have my hands in everything I I do. I need to be in control of what I'm working on um especially because like I take I take my my responsibility very, very seriously. If someone's hiring me on and we agree to work together, like that is all consuming for me for the duration of however long I've agreed to work. So as much as I, I'd say like, oh yeah, I'd love to have a team of like all these people underneath me. I know that I cannot like let go of enough work to let other people work on it for me. So I think that I just want to continue building in the same way that I that I have. And I, I like being in charge and I like steering my own ship. And I like being in control of the clients that I'm working with and being able to take on projects that I love because I love them, not because I need to pay a staff, you know? Um, And I think that that's important. And that's what keeps me going and and helps me work so hard is that I have such a personal investment in every single record and every single band that I work with that I have to do a good job and I want to do a good job and I know that I can do it uh, on my own. I
0: guess (laughs) yeah no it totally makes sense because i i do think it's that weird thing of you know ambition where it's like some people the the notion is to always be growing otherwise like you know you're dead but then it's like if you do get to a certain level that you personally are comfortable at it's sustainable it's like why why do you need that next like big thing because really you know satisfaction in general like never exists it's not like it's not like a band like Coldplay is not like oh man I really wish that we could be the Rolling Stones. They're totally do- they're they're totally having those conversations of like how can we be timeless, you know? It's like there's no level of success that will bring you that uh, ultimate I'm at the mountaintop and that's it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I just feel super every, every day I feel really lucky that I get to do what I do professionally and I get to do it on my own terms and I'm able to work on things that I care so much about and have such a meaningful job you know um and every year that that i work it's a little bit better than the next so i guess i'm doing something right and
0: <laughs> yeah yeah there's a positive trajectory yeah um now th- th- this is uh, this is my pet theory and you can either agree or disagree with this but the um obviously there tend to be um just whatever categorically speaking it tend to be a lot of uh females that are involved in pr in general and i personally have always attributed to the fact that um you know first of all, guys are dumb in general, so that we'll <laughs> we'll we'll go ahead and put that as a sort of uh a premise that I have uh you don't need to agree with me <clears throat> but uh so guys are dumb and like there there's that notion where it's just like you know you it, sometimes uh, again statistically speaking, there are a lot of guys making sort of editorial decisions, whether it's they're running the website or they're you know the music editor or whatever uh, across the board, it seems to be more males and females that are in that position so. Uh, my conclusion is that usually guy, guys being dumb and women filling pr roles that you know uh women not saying that you need to be like you know flirtatious or anything from that perspective but you know guys are just like oh wow, like a girl's being nice to me <laughs> and like you know oh like they're talking to me about this record like uh, again i'm i'm painting a very naive picture here but um i've just always noticed that sort of weird thing where it's just like oh like I- i'm talking to a girl like maybe i can like maybe something can happen if I'm nice to them. Again, like I said, I'm painting a very broad picture. Um, but I've, it's just been one of those things where it's like that, just that weird dynamic that I have personally noticed where it's like, huh? Like, I, I mean, I can't believe that it's obviously by accident that these sort of roles have kind of landed to where they have, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Just, I want to put it out there to see if you had any, if you wanted to pick apart that or agree with certain aspects of that.
1: Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe some dudes feel good when chicks talk to them. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I think that maybe a lot of women do PR just because women are fucking worker bees, man. Like, yeah, <laughs> you no, know, we may or may not be, like, I don't know, stronger whatever. I mean, we are. But I, I just think that a lot of women are in PR because, like, women work really fucking hard. And it's a really arduous job. And you have to be really on the ball and, I guess – some dudes just like to talk to chicks, and we like to talk.
0: So <laughs> right, right, no, no, no. Yeah, like I said, it's a pet theory that I've just always, uh, I've always observed where it's just like you know, if you're if you're painting very broad stereotypes, it's like you know, like super nerdy music dude, and then like a girl calls him up and be like, hey, can you feature this record? And he's like, of course I can. Like that sounds great. And it's like, yeah, then the cycle goes on. But again, like I said, I'm I'm painting a very stereotypical broad picture. But um, yeah, I wish
1: that worked for me more
0: often. <laughs> Totally. This makes
1: my job a lot easier.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like I said, it's this is probably from like the uh uh the again, like, you know, a, a, a PR person just starting and then like, you know, a person who has a Tumblr page, you know. It's like this yeah. is a very like um, uh, minimal idea that I'm extrapolating to the whole the industry as a whole. So uh, I, I encourage everybody to not really listen to what I just said, but at the same time it's a funny theory that I've had. So um well, Stephanie, thank you so much for obviously being on the complete opposite side and being <laughs> featured and I, in ways that you've never been featured before. I appreciate
1: I it. I know. I hope I did okay. I don't know if I'm going to be – I don't know if interviews are going to be my thing now. No,
0: no. You're <laughs> – this could be uh this could be your whole new uh whole new world where you will all of a sudden start fielding uh interview requests for yourself and you like you mentioned before, you are your own PR person. So Dude,
1: I doubt it. I don't know how my bands do this shit. Like it's it's a like kind of nerve-wracking. Well, how,
0: how about um how about just imagine like four more after this. Um, but yeah.
1: That's terrible. Now I feel bad. I'm gonna cancel all my dance interviews today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or oh, but but then all four of those interviews are fifteen minutes apiece and they're gonna be asking you questions that you have been asked like uh a million times before. How True. do you, how, yeah. do you, how, do you get, how do you get your band name? <laughs> oh
1: god. Um also I will say, so I listen to your podcast, you know, often, aside from just having like my clients on there, but in general. And I always like I've gotten a few, like, shout-outs, if you will, and I always hear you guys, like, I mean, I don't know if she's listening or not, but, like, Stephanie Marlowe, I'm always listening. (laughs) I'm... Always listening, and I always hear when you guys mention my name, and I thank you for
0: that. So. Of course, no, of course, yeah. Yeah. and that was another reason where it's like I would be remiss if I did not have the the person who has been gently mentioned in multiple interviews <laughs> on the show, where it's like, oh yeah, like the, and you're you're an important person in the uh, in in the cog that makes the machine go. So of course, <laughs> but I yeah, like I'm that.
1: Just so you
0: know, I'm always listening. I know. I like I like that. I am the ever present eye, looming down on you. <laughs>
1: exactly
0: (laughs) so that's stephanie isn't she great she's the best so thank you very much stephanie for letting me turn the tables on you and being like oh wow so this is what all my bands go through (laughs) She actually said that to me. Um not after the conversation but was uh, as we were ramping up to it she was just like, "Oh, this is weird. I've never done this before." So I was very appreciative for her uh, you know, peeling back the veil, so to speak. So anyways, the editor this week is Anthony. Anthony's back. Anthony Patera He is in a band called Zombie, and uh, hopefully he's enjoying this process because if he does, then he's going to continue on. But, you know, we're doing a little little trial run here in January. But thank you very much, Anthony. I really, really appreciate it. And um, visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter. You know, all that good stuff in order to communicate with the show. And last line of communication, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. Write me because I always enjoy hearing from people who get something out of the show. Anyways, until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.